worship service. Today our scripture is found in James chapter 3 and we'll start at verse 13 and go into a little bit of chapter 4. Listen to what the Lord says through the book of James. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. And I want us to remember that one verse there, and in particular the word humility. We'll focus on that a lot today. Verse 14 says, But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you, have find, there, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, in good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. And then into chapter 4, the first few verses, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have. So you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not, ask, do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And then down in verse, the last part of verse 6 and then 7 and 8, God opposes the proud but shows favor in the humble. Again, that word, from humility, humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. And God's people said, Amen. I have a dear friend, and we meet for lunch regularly. I've known him for years and years. He works for a large Fortune 500 company here in Richmond. And he works in human resources and does a lot of consulting and coaching. Often I'll share with him some things I'd like to work on. And he helps sharpen my saw, if you will. Helps with some leadership development. Uh, helps me to look at areas in my life where I can improve, and these kinds of things. One day, we were talking about why it is that we want to do certain things, but we just can't finish them, or maybe sometimes don't even start. And he told me a story about one of their staff members, been there a long time, well-educated, has done uh, uh, well w with the company, but is chronically late late for work, late for meetings, staff meetings, uh, assignments are even late and so forth. They, she's such a good employee, though, that they have really tried to work hard. So they've provided some continuing education, some coaching, and some, um, I, I'm sure, admission as well. And she still struggles. 
She's able to get to the company cafeteria on time every morning to get her breakfast and then takes her cup of coffee and so forth up to her desk and finishes it there late. You can get to the cafeteria on time, but can't get her work responsibilities done on time. Why couldn't this intelligent employee, why is she unable to learn the new behavior? That's the question. Another example. I'm a wannabe golfer. I enjoy it. When Melanie and I were first married, I worked for an insurance company and played golf often with my co-workers, kept the sticks in the trunk. And on Wednesday afternoon, you know how insurance adjusters, that's what I did, Al, you would be the insurance guy. Uh, when we finished our work, Wednesday afternoon often could get nine holes in at missable course. And then on Friday, if we were able to get our work done, we would get a good 18 in. I wasn't great at it, but I could hold my own. Melanie gave me some golf lessons, and I enjoyed it. Once I went to seminary, though, I got away from it because I was so busy with schoolwork, and and then I started to serve as a pastor, and the opportunities to play golf were just far and few between. And so recently I've, I've played, I guess, a couple of times a year, and recently I played and complain when I don't hit the ball well or when I hit it fat or when I totally hit an, like a, an air ball, you know, woof, that kind of thing. I complain because I am not good at golf. The question is, what have I done to improve? Using the same logic as the co-worker, what, what have I done to Make changes so that I can be a better golfer. Have I gone to the driving range regularly? No. Have I gotten any lessons? No. Have I purchased any better clubs? No. Do I look at YouTube videos to improve my game? No. I don't read Golf Digest or anything like that. So how can I expect to get better at the game of golf when I'm not doing anything to make improvements, to make changes. I would never be a Jordan Spieth or a Dustin Johnson or Tiger Woods doing pretty well this weekend, but I could probably become a pretty good golfer if I wanted to, if I made the adjustments that were necessary. In order to change, we have to want to. And I am basically communicating the fact that I don't want to get any better. And I can't complain about my game if I don't want to get better. If I'm not doing the things that are necessary to improve, I'm basically saying I don't want to get any better. I don't want to develop that part of my life. So my question to you today is to ask what are the areas in your life that you would like to see some improvement or change and Perhaps you have not been willing to make the adjustments or take those first steps to arrive at that destination. I'm hoping, as we reflect on James today, that we can go from I won't to I'm willing to I will. And it's a journey. Now, I'm not advocating that every one of us should pick up a new hobby like, uh, you know, maybe I'm not supposed to go out and spend the extra money on golf or the time and all of that 
but the principle still remains the same. And we have to determine what it is that God is leading us to do and then take the appropriate steps to arrive at that place so that we can say, I, I'm willing, I want to, rather than I'm not. On our own, we can't be successful in these areas, but with God's help, with heavenly wisdom, as James discusses here, I believe that we can. Last week, we studied several verses in the first part of chapter 3 and talked about the power of words and how hurtful that they can be and how we must be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger, quick to control our tongues. We address the fact that the tongue is like a fire and it can cause harm not only to individual people but to large groups of people if we're not careful. We talked about controlling our tweets and our tongues, the things that we say to others and the things that we communicate on social media. We can choose wisdom from heaven in these areas, godly wisdom, and allow God to change us from the inside out. Or, as James shows us, we can choose wisdom from below of the devil and continue to be miserable and bitter and remain where we are complaining. James, writing at a time, was very concerned about how Christians behaved with one another in the faith community. He's addressing their words and also their emotions. That's what the text is talking about today. I like how Eugene Peterson paraphrases this passage in the message version of the Bible. Listen to these words. It's the way you live, not the way you talk, that counts. Mean-spirited ambition isn't wisdom. Boasting that you are wise isn't wisdom. Twisting the truth to make yourself sound wise isn't wisdom. It's the furthest thing from wisdom. It's animal cunning, devilish conniving. Whenever you're trying to look better than others or get the better of others, things fall apart and everyone ends up at one another's throats. Real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. It's gentle. It's reasonable. Overflowing with mercy and blessing, not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoy its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. When it's put that plainly, we might want to say that this so-called earth, earthly smarts that we have aren't smarts at all. And James acknowledges this when he says, it's the furthest thing from wisdom. It's animal cunning, devilish conniving. James was meeting people right where they were, where even some Christians elevated and acclaimed people who were getting ahead by mean-spirited boasting, twisting the truth and pitting one person against the other. And things haven't changed much, have they? If you just look at the media, just look at what's going on in our country today, often we admire people who have accomplished great things and who are in positions of great power and prestige, and yet we overlook their behavior because other things that are going well uh, are able to justify those uh, people's actions. We justify the behavior. Take Steve Jobs, for instance, the co-founder of Apple. He is deceased now. Some of you might have read his biography. 
Who cannot, on some level, admire him? Uh, his inventions really change the way that we do things in this world. Think of iTunes and how we order music nowadays and download it onto our playlists. Our iPhones, which have radically changed the way that people communicate. Our iPads, um, the iCloud, and all of the, 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 I, the Apple Watch, and on and on. It's just amazing how it has revolutionized the way that we communicate and do things. Yet Steve Jobs, as successful as he was, was so mean to his employees. People did not like to work for him. He changed the world like Thomas Edison did. His biographer compares him to Edison. Yet as smart as he was, the biographer says he was a beast of a human being to work for. He cites colleagues, friends and family and acquaintances and the adjectives that, that come rolling off the tongue include autocratic, controlling, mercurial, temperamental, cold, absent, obsessive, distant, passionate, rebellious and so on. He shouted at people, yelled at folks, bad-mouthed his employees, misled. He was, his biographer says he was a jerk. And yet he was one of the most influential people in the last 40 years. And I'm not standing in judgment of his, of his life. That's God's doings. I'm just stating what the biographer has written about him. His mantra might be identified by the ad campaign that Apple ran some years ago. You remember it? Think what? Think different. Jobs knew that for Apple to succeed, the company had not only have to have smarts that were unlike its competitors, but it also had to encourage customers to tap into their own creativity. Um, he wanted people to have a wisdom. He, uh, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication, he says. A word which in itself is rooted in the Greek word for wisdom, Sophia. But for the most part... Jobs never made the changes in his human behavior that he knew he needed to make. Maybe he didn't want to. But we can if we really want to. We can make the changes to be more and more like Jesus that God might use us in this world according to his purposes. It's not through one single conversion experience that we can dramatically all of a sudden start treating people better this wisdom from heaven that james speaks of comes through walking with jesus christ daily it's like a piece of driftwood if you've ever been on the beach walking the beach hunting for shells and then you come across a beautiful smooth piece of driftwood that has been tossed about the ocean current for years and years that is what it is like for us. The longer that we walk with Jesus, the more and more we are refined into his image. My seminary professor, Dr. Cecil Sherman, called it like that. God is, is uh, sanding us in the wood shop as a carpenter sands a piece of wood. That over a period of time we are made smooth, we are refined, we are made into the, more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. So our decisions the things that we need to change, the decisions that we need to make, aren't this dramatic, punctiliar turnaround necessarily, but it's more of a journey, a process, not a single conversion, but a series of conversions, if you will. New Testament scholar Luke Timothy Johnson 
who wrote the New Testament book that I studied back when I was in seminary, quote, wrote that James is addressing members of the Christian community who gather in the name of Jesus and profess the faith of the glorious Lord Jesus, but whose attitudes and actions are not yet in full friendship with God. Dr. Johnson is not condemning the congregation. He, he says James is not condemning the congregation, but rather recognizing that conversion does not remove the ambiguity of life and that complete consistency is not given by a first commitment. It is slowly and painfully won through, quote, many conversions. He also writes, there is always double-mindedness. James writes about that in chapter 1. Even among those who truly want to be friends of God. We know what we're supposed to do, but either we, won't, we don't want to do it or we have trouble getting there. The wisdom from below is not easy to abandon or avoid precisely because it's the way of the world inscribed not only in the language and literature of our surrounding culture, but also in our hearts. And then there's a story that uh, tells about this kind of process. It's an old man who wanders into a, a, a homeless mission, stone drunk. He's come to the mission for the free dinner, but stays for the service. And the preacher made an altar call, and this intoxicated man found himself going forward where a counselor prayed with him. He accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. And we might say that's his big turnaround. And the man describes it as his big turnaround. Long story short, he goes on to recover and becomes a productive member of society. It doesn't always happen this way. He hasn't had a sip to drink since that trip to the altar. But he says that in many ways, his conversion was only a start. He felt that his sins had been forgiven, but in most ways, he was the same self-centered, profane, bigoted, uncaring person he'd been, except that now he was attending worship services where he prayed and started listening to God. One by one, God revealed things that he needed to give up or rethink or do differently or take on if he was to continue following Jesus. Little by little, he writes, he, uh, I began to make those adjustments, more conversions, if you will. He never said that he had fully arrived, but he says he had a sense of where he was going and to whom he was headed. The point here is not the nature of this man's conversion. There wasn't a single magic, instantaneous um, moment, but rather a life-learning process of many conversions. His story should encourage us. Sometimes we are people of God and we expect to have everything all worked out at the moment of conversion or that we assume that because we are Christians we should be able to be successful in the areas where we struggle. Not so. It's a journey of walking with Jesus Christ of seeking heavenly wisdom and trusting the power of the Holy Spirit to help us avoid wisdom from this earth. C.S. Lewis describes it this way in his book, Mere Christianity. He looks at us and says uh, that we're like a lifelong building project for the Lord. Imagine yourself as a living house 
God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and, unstop, and, uh, and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abdominally and does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one that you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace and he intends to come and live in it himself. I don't know about you, but I have a whole lot of room for growth. This brings us to the question that we must ask ourselves. What do we need to change? And I hope in the little space in the bulletin this week, uh, I give you some blank space that you might uh, write down today some things in your life that you'd like to begin changing, to see changed, and to um, begin to pray about how you can arrive at that destination. We cannot make these changes alone. But little by little, with God's help, mere uh, mini conversions, if you will, will get there. I believe the answer for us on the kind of life that God desires for us to live is found in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Let us show it through humility. What does it look like to show our good deeds through humility? Are we supposed to be like the greatest showman, P.T. Barnum? If you look at his life story, it was really all about him. If not him, then who? Let me suggest that the greatest showman is a person who doesn't intend to show their good deeds at all, but rather through a life of humility, others are able to see God working through them. Let me suggest that Fred Rogers is the kind of person that we might want to emulate. A life of showing a good life through humility. This past week, we acknowledged 50 years since the Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, his television program, was launched. I grew up with Mr. Rogers. Some of you all, raise your hand if you grew up watching Mr. Rogers. And many of our children still watch Mr. Rogers even today. Listen to the song that he wrote called, What Do You Do With the Mad That You Feel? What do you do with the mad that you feel when you feel so mad you could bite? When the whole wide world seems oh so wrong and nothing you do seems very right, what do you do? Do you punch a bag? Do you pound some clay or some dough? Do you round up friends for a game of tag or see how fast you could go? It's great to be able to stop when you've planned a thing that's wrong, and be able to do something else instead and think this 
song. I can stop when I want to, can stop when I wish, I can stop, stop, stop any time. And what a good feeling to feel like this. And know that the feeling is really mine. Know that there's something deep inside that helps us become what we can. For a girl can someday be a woman and a boy can someday be a man. Jesus told his disciples who were struggling with who was the greatest, how they should live, listen to his words. They left that place through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. And he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because they had argued about who was the greatest. And sitting down, Jesus called the twelve around him, and he said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last, the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them, And taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Let us pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for having patience with us. Thank you for loving us and for giving us your mercies. We thank you for the forgiveness that you so freely give to us, and all we can do is receive it. We can't work for it. We just have to open ourselves up and surrender ourselves to you. You've called us to be humble and to allow the good works that you do through us to be shown in humility. Help us. Learn from the greatest showman, Jesus our Lord, who humbled himself and took the form of a servant and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Help us moment by moment, day by day, to experience this life with Jesus with many conversions along the way. Amen.